Well, good afternoon. This is Mike Grain. Um, we are going to go ahead and get started with our conversations on retail and the University of Arkansas uh, Supply Chain Organization podcast. Um, good afternoon. Happy Friday, uh, wherever you might be, uh, or good morning or good evening, depending on what time zone you're in. So thank you for spending a little bit of time with us. I am extremely excited to be uh, have a time to spend some with some time with Dean Frew. Uh, Dean Frew is the Chief Technology Officer and Senior Vice President of RFID Solutions at the SML Technologies Group. Known Dean for a long, long time, and I'm really excited to get into uh, his background, his history, his thoughts on the industry, uh, and uh, all things related to both on-shelf availability. And specifically, we'll be focusing today on the topic of radio frequency identification at retail. Before we get too far into this, I want to uh, to kick it over to Matt Pfeiffer. Matt is the uh, the uh, head of the conversations on retail. He's got a couple of, uh, of special things that he wants to share uh, with us uh, before we start on today's podcast. Matt, go ahead. All right. Well, good afternoon, everyone. It's great to see you. I know a lot of folks are getting caught up after being uh, in snow all week. Mike, if you go ahead and kick it to that next slide. We're so excited that you're here, and uh, we just want to let everyone know that uh, the uh, on-shelf availability group and series is presented by the University of Arkansas. Uh, the on-shelf availability, uh, as I said, in 2022 and 2020, undergraduate supply chain program was ranked number one in North America by Gartner, which is a leading global research firm. This ranking is highly respected throughout industry, which makes University of Arkansas graduates very sought after as they move on to internships and careers. As stated by Gartner, this number one ranking is reflective of inclusion of global content, great popularity within the industry, robust program size, strong internship, inter-co-op partnership, and starting salary. So for more information about the supply chain program, you can see the link there below. It doesn't hurt that they're co-located in Northwest Arkansas with companies like Walmart and J.B. Hunt either. Just, just wanted to throw that out there for what it's worth. <laughs> All right. We're also excited to celebrate our featured sponsor for this particular uh, meetup, which is BrainCorp. BrainCorp knows that retailers want to operate smarter, but with many solutions, add complexities and not efficiencies. With over 26,000 robots deployed across five continents, BrainCorp is helping retailers with frictionless deployment of robots at scale to automate tasks like inventory management. Already powering the world's largest fleet of robotic inventory scanners, BrainCorp is now excited to offer retailers its analytic solution called BrainOS Inventory Insights, developed in partnership with Google Cloud. Brain OS Inventory Insights creates a true end-to-end -end solution for analyzing the inventory data collected by Brain OS or robots so retailers can quickly respond to out-of-stock and low-stock uh, events and assess product details such as product location, planogram compliance, and price tag compliance. So for more information, you can contact Gavin Donnelly there at BrainCorp. With that, I'm going to open it up and, and basically uh, open it up and introduce uh, my friend Dean uh, that I've already done a little bit. I'm going to stop sharing because at, at the end of the day, we, we're, we're not going to have a lot more uh, uh, screens and, and things to share. But Dean, you have been uh, you've been in this area for 20 years or so. You've been uh, leading a lot of very incredible retail technology companies. Uh, you are now the CTO from the SML Corporation. Uh, you've got a lot of customers, and I'm sure we'll get into some examples here in a little bit, but just tell us about yourself before we kind of open it up for some specific questions around on-shelf availability. Yeah, you bet. And thanks again, Matt and Mike, for the opportunity to, to talk to you guys today and for the audience taking time. Um, yeah, so Dean Frew, um, background in RFID going all the way back to Texas Instruments. 
started a company uh, focused as I was part of the tech development, uh, tech standards at MIT and part of another company. Uh, thought that there was something going on with UHF and so started a company called ExtraPrize, um, venture funded, um, bought it back from the VCs in 2010 and then sold it to SML in 2013 um, and was president of a software division and then ultimately took on the CTO role. So again, SML, uh, one of the top providers of encoded RFID tags in the market and um, one of the top, if not the top, provider of uh, RFID solutions for stores, for inventory management and store operations. I'm headquartered here in uh, frozen Dallas today, falling <laughs> Dallas, I should say. But uh, we, my team has offices in uh, Singapore, Sweden, France, uh, Dubai, uh, UK, US, Mexico, um, and uh, Hong Kong and China. So uh, we're seeing dramatic increase in interest around the world. And excited to be on the call today. That's awesome. That's awesome. So you, so suffice it to say, you've been in this technology area for a while. You've been at SML, obviously, for a while. But in addition to that, and one of the reasons that I want to make sure that you came on is you're just as much as a, of a business partner as you are a technologist. You think about things from a business perspective. You think about it. And a lot of the questions we're going to be talking about today are business driven. So uh, I, I think that's really going to be important for us to do. So before we get into the actual topic of RFID and some of the things that we do with SML, I'm going to ask you to put your customer hat on uh, because we've all been customers before. And, and, and at the end of the day, I think it's a great way to think about the business when you're engaging with that. But I've asked this almost every time with folks who have uh, who've been on the podcast, which is, have you had an experience where you wanted something from for for your own personal use and you got frustrated because the store said they had it they couldn't find it you had this website say it was available then it became a, a on shelf availability or out of stock issue i'm sure you've got a story because everybody does do you have one that you can share with us from a customer perspective about this yeah definitely yeah, the um, the one i won't talk about is the fact that it took me 10 months to get my pickup truck Okay, so we won't talk about that one. That's because you uh, that's because you bought the wrong one, Dean. But we'll, no, we'll I, I bought the right one. <laughs> okay. um, but you know, it happens all the time. I mean, we have a, a distributed family, and so ordering things and having things shipped, ordering things and having someone try to go pick it up, is something that happens all the time for us. And um, you know, uh, example this Christmas someone saying that they had the product, then they told us they didn't. So we reordered it and then it showed up anyway. Okay. Um, mm -hmm. I won't mention the retailer, No, <laughs> but, but, you know, basically we're seeing this all the time and it's, you know, as, uh, as we look across the problem, my, you know, <laughs> my wife goes, how come these guys aren't using what you guys do? And I said, it's a great question. Put that in your response back to them when you give comments. Yeah. But it's happening everywhere. Everybody is scrambling to meet the new model where you're using every one of your existing inventory stores, whether it be a store at DC or direct from factory to fulfill orders. And um, and we're seeing it in clothing. We see it in personally, clothing, furniture, shoes. Some people are doing better. Some people don't make promises that they can't keep and they'll just tell you honestly when it's going to show up and it tends to have done that. We've, I've seen that now 
with uh, two different uh, footwear vendors where they just tell you, uh, we don't have it now, but we'll have it to you in a week and a half. Okay, I can live with that. Mm-hmm. Not the, I, I'm going to get it now. Uh, and then we, we continue to see we're huge Amazon Prime people. And we continue to see them um, set the bar on, um, they tend to have less problems as our observation than what some other people have had. Yep. So yep. anyway, we're all, we're all in the same boat. I think um, struggling through uh, trial and error returns has become a part of my life. Okay, more so than it was even two years ago. So, uh, say, you know, say more. Say more about that. You, you mean personally or from a business perspective? Yeah, personally. Yeah, okay. I mean both. But personally, the whole concept of you know, I think the Frew family has adopted the buy three, figure out which one fits, and then send two of them back. Mm. I've seen that be a behavioral change inside our clan. And um, and so the whole concept of returns is a normal weekly process for us now. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I think we we need to probably retouch on that when we get a little later into yeah, yeah. solutions because obviously RFID has some some potential to help uh, help track that better than what we've had in, in the past. Yeah. So, so I guess, I guess one of the things that, and uh, unfortunately, um, I was unable to attend NRF this year, Dean, I believe you were as well because you had right. some other stuff going on, but a lot of excitement. I, if I heard one word, I heard it a thousand times from the folks that I talked to who attended NRF, which is RFID is here to stay. RFID is now, Sort of like the old uh, UPC barcode. I mean, if you're not in that certain business, you better be, or you won't become relevant. So, uh, what are some of the things that you heard coming out of uh, NRF specifically as it relates to RFID? Yeah, I mean, clearly the there wasn't um, there wasn't much discussion around how does this work. Hmm. Um, I think that was one of the big takeaways that our team had is the discussions were around those retailers that you know, as, as we say, have, have come to acknowledge they have a problem. And that problem is they can't continue to use an annual PI count as the basis for their ERP systems inventory ledger um, and throughout the rest of the year. And not everybody has come to that, but we, we're seeing a growing number every year, whether it be a retail expo in London or whether it be in Dubai or whether it be here in the U.S. at NRF. We're continuing to see retailers who are focused on the right thing, which is the fact that they have a fundamental problem of running their business. Mm-hmm. Um, there's always going to be excitement about some of the things that you know that we're working on, but when it comes down to it, the fundamental element is if you know what you have, then you know what to replenish and you know what to commit to customers. And coming up with simple solutions for that is what we found customers interested in. And again, for us trying to focus them onto that fundamental issue because everything else doesn't doesn't matter. Doing customer experience, doing self-checkout, all those things, doing loss prevention doesn't matter if you're not doing that fundamental element. Yeah, so, so let's talk about that a little bit. So what I hear quite a bit is there's a whole hierarchy of capability that this particular technology, it allows you to know at a very high level of accuracy, what do you have and where is it located? And by the way, that that particular information can also be provided to your customers in a way that allows them to be able to 
purchase product. We, Bill Hargrave, Dr. Hargrave from the University of Memphis calls that researching online, buying in store. Yeah, um, yeah. I've also heard it called call reserve online, pick up in store, but exposing those on hands for customers. But let's just talk through this. The inventory accuracy has always been the base of the triangle. We got to know what we have and what we know we have, where it's located. It seems to be a little bit of a shift now where I'm seeing some retailers that say, no, I need to know that, but not necessarily for customer. I need to know that for asset protections or inventory accuracy purposes of where is, where is my inventory becoming inaccurate? Your response to that, because I'm seeing a lot more of that from, from a retail perspective. Yeah, I mean, I think any of the asset any of the asset protection, the where, what stuff do I have where is a component of what we see from customers. But mm -hmm. the biggest one is them looking to the consumer relationship and seeing how do they improve that, which ultimately they've, they've associated with increase in sales. Mm -hmm. Okay. And better customer satisfaction. So you know, while there's somebody on the committee that's interested in that, the one who has the loudest voice based on our experience are those that are saying, I need to reduce my cancel rates on both this. I need to make sure my out of stocks have gone are almost zero in the store. I need to make it so that I really understand what I'm doing as far as receiving in my store. And because if I can do those three things, then I am going to sell more product. I'm going to satisfy more customers mm -hmm. rather than um, operational things inside the business about how many items do I have more asset protection side, side of things. Yep. And I think you guys have done uh, a, an incredible job of understanding that entire flow, which is, so, so walk us through the SML solution, if you will, if I'm a yeah. brand new retailer, because it's not just I want stuff and I get the on hands right. That's certainly yeah. the foundational element, but everything from I'm able to receive product in and account for it. I'm able to move it from the back of the store to the sales floor and I can account for it. I, I can I can see it's left the store. The thing we were just talking about returns. This is going to be a big, broad question, but uh, how does SML deliver those kind of capabilities? Because that's what retailers will really want. Yeah, and, and our philosophy is pretty simple. And that is that once you've made the investment to put the RFID data carrier on your product, um, there are, um, it's, our, it's, it's ourselves, it is stewardship responsibility are to provide you as much value for that investment as we can, okay? Um, you know, it's just like, you know, my new truck. If I just use my new truck to commute to the office, then it's not that valuable. But my new truck carrying all my stuff into the mountains and whatever, I want to try to do as much as I can with that asset. Mm -hmm. And and so our philosophy has been to continue to expand and to grow the use of item level RFID in the store. So it starts out with stock count. It starts out with receiving. It starts out with moving from front to back. It starts out with stock lookup and Geiger counter finding. Then then it's moving into replenishment. It's moving into markdowns. It's moving into bulpus. Uh, last year, this time of year, we bought a company out of Sweden, Sumzed, and we've added a complete customer experience line. Mm -hmm. So smart dressing room, kiosk, point of information terminals, bulpus pickup kiosks, and also self-checkout and, and uh, associate level check, you know, assisted checkout using RFID. Um, you know, then the, the as we started seeing that, one of the things we've been involved in a long time is the supply chain. Mm -hmm. And so what we started seeing is all of our retailers, the thousands and thousands of stores that are out there using Clarity, 
in the store, they started to recognize that there was value and as we had as well up in the supply chain. And so, you know, we've made strategic investments in that space because we believe it's a natural to help the client extend their uh, return on investment at a marginal cost um, because the most important part is already there. So we've done supply chain um, work with multiple brands and retailers now and uh, things like being able to read hundreds of items in a box in one second at 100% accuracy and do that at speed so that you're at a thousand cases an hour. Okay. And so, you know, for us, it's basically tying all that together into a complete suite of, of functionality that leverages item level. And I would tell you that the way we talk about this and what we're seeing is, is this is not about RFID. It's about the move from SKU to item level. Hmm. Okay. And yep. RFID happens to be one of the technologies we use, but the fundamental change and the reason there's an opportunity for companies like ourselves is that their existing ERP systems have no idea what to do with item level data. Right. They don't even, you know, they don't even think with serial numbers on every blue medium T-shirt. And so for us, it's that transformation from from SKU level to item level and having that dialogue with the client, a retailer or a brand to say, this is the transformational thing you guys should be looking at mm -hmm. is it's not just about do I use RFID on things? It's about am I going to start manage my inventory at the, at the item level? So, so let's let's double click into that because that 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 I think is a really important distinguishing factor. There's a lot of people who are out there leveraging RFID systems to just better have a better job of knowing what they have and where it's located. We've already talked about that, but that means taking all those serialized G10s, rolling them up to a G10, and go, oh, I've got four of those, not ten. Okay, great, we yeah. make the on hand change. What you just said, I think, is transformational which is I can now do things like assign attributes to an individual SKU, not a SKU, but the item of that SKU. How many, how many retailers do you think are really taking advantage of that? And, and number two, why are, why are not more retailers being able to do that? Is it legacy systems? Is it, how do you think through that? Cause that, that to me seems like the next big opportunity to leverage that serialized data. It is. And it's, again, it's one of those things that, um, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to give away since my competitors are probably on this, but um, basically there are opportunities that to know if, if, if an event is taking place with a blue media, a specific blue medium t-shirt that would allow me to address a lot of business benefit. Okay. Yep. And, but you've got to have all that information first. You've got to be able to have received it. You've got to be able to do, have done a stock count here, you know, frequently. And, and what we're seeing is, again, back to that pyramid that we use, once you've got that fundamental in place, you're opening up a, a whole nother set of, of business opportunities of leveraging that information, whether it be loss prevention, whether it be customer uh, engagement, whether it be fraud, whether it be, there's a number of things out there that we are um, currently, you know, take, for example, it's not a secret, but we have a markdown application mm -hmm. that's deployed in multiple retailers. Simply being able to know that I've got three medium blue t-shirts that need to be marked down and I'm going to use Geiger counter to make sure I find them. Yep. Okay. Not a very sexy app, but a huge value for many retailers out there. And you couldn't really do it if you were operating only at the SKU level, not effectively at least. 
Right. Yep. Absolutely. So you can, you can see in two, we have a couple of questions. Yep. Uh, one from Robert Taylor. I think it's more of a comment than a question, but could be transformational with products that have expiration dates of various sizes. Obviously yep. in the food industry, people are definitely looking at that because that particular serialized G10, we know what date and time that tag got provided and it potentially could have a, when does it expire? When does it need to be marked down, et cetera? Uh, great perspective. Uh, Julie's asking, how is, pro how is location of product tracked by RFID? I think that, 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 that allows a little bit with the Geiger counter function. Maybe explain that one a little bit more, Dean. Yeah, I mean, there are technology. Let me talk. I mean, just comment on Robert's comment. Sure. I think that there are a lot of things, believe it or not, in the retail sector outside of food that have expiration dates. For example, cosmetics. A bunch of cosmetics have expiration dates, just like um, packs of cheese. Mm hmm. And so that whole concept of being able to address lot code and expiration date are, is, are data attributes that are um, having to become part of the product that we're involved in. Okay. Um, uh, I think it was Julie asked the question. Yeah, Julie yeah, asked the question about so, product location. Yeah, mm -hmm. and, and you know, RFID is really, really good at counting a lot of things fast. What it's not good at, especially now that the technology has evolved, is without a lot of money and a lot of infrastructure to be able to pinpoint something down to a very small number, a small area, a CEP, if you will, taking the military term. And so, <laughs> um, you know, so it can be done. But what we're finding is most retailers out there kind of know where everything is and they don't... They, they're having labor issues now. The last thing, you know, we have customers that are replenishing 1,000 to 2,000 items a day on the floor. They don't have time to go look on a handheld to go look at a dot someplace on a screen. Mm -hmm. You know, they know where they put away the children's wear. And now they use Geiger counter to zero in on the size 12 onesies and pull those to the floor through our replenishment app. So um location is something that i think is going to continue to evolve um but again we're very driven by customers and and customers um we want to be very sensitive to all their problems not just their inventory problems and one of their problems is they're just trying to staff their stores and minimize the impact on their on their store staff and so a lot of what we do with our applications is trying to make their project, their jobs more efficient and to do it in a way where the user is not just inundated with information, but we try to boil it down and allow them to sort it and so on. And I think location is part of that. So yep. um, I, I think we're a ways away from, uh, there could be breakthroughs, but we're a ways away from coming up with something that a user will actually, other than a cool demo, if you think about doing this every day in a store that has 200,000 items in it, yep. it, it, it doesn't seem practical to me right now. So, so I want to, I want to jump to, to a question that wasn't asked, but it was kind of inferred by these questions. Uh, in the past, the GS1 encoding standards has basically been, I have the, basically the G10 of the item. I have a serialized number of that item. And everything else was a data. So it provided me not only the UPC of the item, but a unique number that connected those things together, right? Yep. In the future, we're going to see an expansion by GS1. This is not a GS1 commercial, so I'm not trying to do that. But there's going to be a standard that says, 
if we open up the amount of size that we could actually contain more things like food safety things like expiration date etc where do you think the is industry is on that because i think it's going to be a very interesting and the good news is what's available today doesn't change so we don't have to migrate to that but where do you where do you see the vision of where where your sml company is going to be in in terms of leveraging that yeah i mean it, it's something we're wrestling through right now i think that um, there's there's pros and cons of putting stuff in the cloud versus putting it in the tag. Um, I'm, you know, I tend to lean toward, all right, what has to change and what would adapt to change more effectively mm. since we don't really know. And, and to me, anytime you have to change something in the hardware, you have to change something in the software itself to read the items. That just seems like friction to me, okay? Um, it might be the best solution, but again, coming from where I have at Texas Instruments, I watched a lot of technologies that were better not get adopted because of the amount of inertia that it would take to break through that. And I think we're gonna, we're gonna have to work. I think there's gonna be markets where it makes a lot of sense. There's gonna be markets where it, it just takes too much inertia to move it off of the 96 bit, but we'll see. Yeah. We're looking at both of them. Yeah, well, cl clearly, as you think about new use cases, i.e. food, fast, ready to serve yeah. restaurants, you know, expiration dates, et cetera, that, that's tougher to do with the way the standards are today. So those may be first movers. But for the core of what we're talking about here, which is apparel, general merchandise, electronics, those kind of things. Yeah, right. There's there's some there's some yeah, there's some reasons one, why you one thing to, to think about is that let's say we went to a 128 or 256 bit tag. Yeah. Everybody who encodes tags would have to change their software to encode it. Mm -hmm. Okay. They would have to change the system behind it to be able to handle now every single EPC would have attribute data that would have to be encoded into the tag. Yep. And so if you just start at the headwaters of this process, um, you know, there's change. And I'm sure that some, some technology providers were, will move down that path. But for mass market, there's a lot of change that has to take place. So, yep. Yeah. So it actually took 25 minutes for JW to actually ask a question. That's that's the latest he's ever been. So uh, JW, I'm picking you on a little bit, but JW is a, a uh, he he participates a lot of these and asks very very good questions. And I think his question is a pretty good one, which is the GS1 standards and leveraging EPCIS, which is the the the, the kind of it's been around for a lot of years, the way that yep. uh, serialized data gets transferred. He's specifically asking about potentially leveraging that from a claims compliance. Uh, is it too early to tell whether that's going to be successful or, or do you, would, you, would, you, would you plan on that kind of be the right, uh, right approach? Well, I, I think that, I mean, back when we were establishing the standards in 99 through 2001, um, EPCIS it was becoming, uh, was was part of that dialogue. And and I think the challenge has always been, what's the business value in the context of every customer has their own ERP systems? So is it going to be food where EPCIS is going to be or pharmaceuticals or something else other than the mass market that we're currently involved in? Mm -hmm. And I think the jury's out on that, but, um, you know, the... When you think about to truly leverage EPCIS, you know, we have one customer that we've got thousands of stores live. They have hundreds of factories, 
hundreds of DCs for you to truly use EPCIS and global location numbers and so on, you've got to put in a ton of item level infrastructure to make that happen. And if you don't, then you've got gaps basically in some of those things. So I think it's, you know, it's, uh, it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out over time. Well, I hope you enjoyed that podcast with Dean Frew. We didn't have enough time to get through all of it. So we're going to pick it up right again next time, uh, just at this uh, same level. We're going to talk a little bit about some of the future uh, technology and capabilities we see with RFID. Look forward to seeing you then.